everybody. My name is Alina Roque and I'm the communications manager for Mary Jo Rapini. I'm a practicing psychotherapist in Houston, Texas. We are joined today by Chris Boykins, who is a fitness professional in Houston, Texas. Um, in addition, Chris is the founder of Glory Fitness and Boykins Youth Foundations. Uh, Chris, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, no, you summed it up. <laughs> Chris is a dad too. Chris, you better tell us about that. <laughs> I, I am a father. Um, I have uh, four boys and three girls. A family man, a businessman, fitness man. Um, thank you for joining us and trusting us to share your experience with racism and to bring more awareness to the community. Um, Mary Jo and I, along with everyone who's tuning in, are here to listen and learn from you and your story. Uh, Mary Jo, do you have anything you'd like to add? Well, I just want to tell the community listening that I, I um, met Chris several years ago. I started talking to him on Twitter, and then I wanted to join his studio, and I fell in love with his community. I just have the utmost um, respect for you, and I'm really grateful that you trust us today with your story. Thank you. Thank you. With that being said, I'd like to go ahead and just start the conversation. And the first question that we'd like to ask you to open up the conversation, um, what age were you when you first felt racism? Um, I want to say between the age of nine and 10. Um, I remember being in San Antonio, Texas uh, with, with my grandparents. Um, they lived on the um, right by SeaWorld. And it was a it was a more upper class uh, neighborhood. My grandmother was a a, a, a big time um, a superintendent, uh, I believe, in the San Antonio district. And my grandfather owned his own business, so you know they were pretty m more well off, you know, at that time. And I had to uh, move with them um, for a year because uh, of some situations that had taken place. Uh, in my home with my mother and my grandparents. And that was my first experience of racism. Mm -hmm. What did you notice about it, Chris? I guess coming from a lower income neighborhood and then going to a, a more upscale neighborhood, because at that time, SeaWorld hadn't even been built in San Antonio. That community was a, you know, you know in the four to maybe $500,000 homes. Um, you know, so it wasn't too many black people living in that area and all the kids would come out and play and I would try to go out there and play with them. Mm-hmm. And did, were they accepting of you? Um, yeah, I remember this one kid, I haven't talked to him in years, but I remember his name, uh, his name was Rex Zababa. When I, that was the first person I met outside. I was throwing the ball against the house. I would, well, I was throwing it on the roof, and the ball would come down, and I would catch it uh, with a glove. And uh, he said, hey, you like playing baseball? And I said, yeah. And he was like, you want to go to baseball practice with me? And I was like, sure. And so I ran in the house and asked, could I go to baseball practice with him? And my grandfather told me no. Um, I couldn't go. So I didn't go that day, but um, he came back after baseball practice and he actually knocked on the door and asked could I come out and play 
So my grandmother let me go out and play with him. And so that's how we built our first relationship. So really, I built friends off of Rex um, in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, he was very accepting. And all the other people were accepting, too. It was a couple of kids that were kind of, you know, they treated me a little different because, you know, I, I, I would I didn't know then that it was the color of my skin. But, um, you know, now, you know, after all these years, at, at some point I realized, wait a minute, that this is actually a problem. I, I got him to ask his father to come ask my grandfather, could I play on that baseball team? And, and, and so my grandfather, he went ahead and let me play. And that's where I first witnessed racism on that baseball field. Wow. What, what did you experience? So I went to the baseball practice and um, the, well, the tryout. And first off, I, did, I didn't have any baseball shoes. I had on regular shoes. So a couple of kids were laughing at that because I, went, I wasn't dressed. And, and there was no black kids. I was the only black kid. Everybody else was white. And I think it may have been two Hispanic kids on that team. I made the team. Uh, and once I made the team, um, we, we actually played our first scrimmage game. And during our scrimmage game, you know, the team kind of accepted me to a certain extent because I guess they realized I was kind of cool. But, you know, they would make little comments and little jokes. But, you know, it didn't really bother me until we played another team. And when we played another team, it was all – I'll never forget when I went up to bat, some of the kids started yelling, hey, nigger, 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 nigger. Hey, nigger, 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 nigger. And I'm like, and I'm looking, but it didn't really hit me. And, you know, they were kind of giggling with it. And they weren't loud, but they were just, you know, kind of mumbling. And so the ref, the umpire stops and, and you know, he kind of giggles and says, hey, y'all cut that out. Because at first, every time any other batter went up, they were saying, hey, batter, batter, batter. But when I went up, they would kind of you know, mumble that. And then when I went up the second time, um, I actually hit the ball to the gate and, and brought in like two runs, you know, so the coach tried to, you know, tell me, and he was like, look, Chris, just ignore that, you know, um, don't even worry about that. Just, just ignore it and keep playing. And then when I went back up the bat again, the second time during the game, they were doing it again, but they weren't, you know, they weren't as loud. And then the umpire was like, Hey, listen, y'all got to cut that out. Like, stop. You know, and but they kept doing it. They didn't. They didn't stop. They did it the whole game. And then after the game, you know, shook everybody's hand, but they none of the kids on that team touched my hand. How painful! And and for me, that experience didn't hit me. It, it stuck with me, but it didn't hit me until I got older. Yes, Chris. And so what I'm hearing is a lot of your experience ha began at such a young age and. There's more of an innocence around it where you just didn't really know exactly what was going on um, from like people pointing out how they thought that you were different from them and the racial slurs that you had to encounter. Um, so from that, I'd like to ask so that people are aware that racism still happens today and is very real. Um, could you share your most difficult or painful experience with racism? I I think the most painful, um, other than that, you know, because I think it, 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 once I realized what had taken place down the road, 
um, you know, because I, I, I ended up going to uh, a school called um, uh, Neil Armstrong uh, in San Antonio. And when I went to the school, I ended up running into some of the kids that we actually played against that, you know, because this happened in the, going into the, you know, to summertime when I moved with my grandparents. Um, and so I ended up going to the school and I remember one of the kids was like, that was that fast nigger that played against us. And I looked and I was like, hey, listen, man, you call me that again. I'm going to punch your lights out. And, you know, you know, when we went to lunch, he didn't say nothing then. But when we went to lunch, the kid uh, took a um, chocolate milk and splashed the chocolate milk on the back of my neck. And I just I, I lost it then. I, at that point, I, I just lost it. So I, I beat him up, and I ended up getting suspended uh, the the first day of school at, at Neil oh Armstrong. Yeah, I, I ended up getting suspended because I, I beat the kid up. And after that, you know, to be honest with you, I, I never really experienced anything worse than that entire situation because it was all tied together right well you know it's so humiliating correct you know that did you tell your parents about that or i guess it was your brand your grandparents yeah my grandparents yeah i i told them about it i mean because I, well i had to tell them about the the reason why i got expelled you know from well i didn't get expelled i only got suspended for uh three days um you know and then i had to apologize and the kid had a apologized but you know the apology well he denied even saying that he made it seem like i just was picking on him and and really it, it rex rex father and 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 rex were the ones that kind of vouched you know because rex father happened to know mr zababa knew one of the kids not the kid that i had jumped on but he knew the other kid father and he went to the father and the father and, and the other kid admitted that uh you know what happened and that was the only thing that kind of saved me you know from my grandparents because that kid denied it and and the principal believed it i think that the, the thing that was just the most humiliating it wasn't and i and i really hate to say this because if it was to happen to my kids now it, it, i would have to figure out a way to handle that you know with them but for me it, it wasn't the name calling which you know would sound surprising it was the it was everybody laughing at the name calling right like they were condoning correct and that's what that's what irritated me because everybody was mm -hmm. laughing well chris that's what i think your um your joining us today is is so important for um the fact that we know that when you're just a bystander and you allow insults and abuse in this manner that this is a form of bullying this is a this is a form of hate absolutely i agree absolutely we're gonna go ahead and just move on to the next question now um it's how do you think racism has limited your life? And if limited is not a good word, what word would you replace it with? Um, I wouldn't say limited because I, I don't I don't feel that um, racism has limited my life. But you know, I, I would say um, I know it. I know it's there. I know it 
exist, you know, me being 43 years old and all of the things that I've experienced um, in so many different forms of fashion, um, I would say one of the things that I, I notice but I ignore is, say, for instance, walking into Sam's today. This, this, this happened today. Um, I walked into Sam's. I had on a Glory Fitness mask on my face. I had on a black shirt. I had on a black Glory Fitness hat, gray shorts, and black shoes. And I'm walking through Sam's, and I stopped the basket to look at, you know, when you, whenever you walk into Sam's, they have all these items that they try to sell, like right at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you know what I'm talking about. So yeah. uh, I stopped and, and I was looking at uh, uh, like a little cooler a and this lady, she stopped first and but I'm behind her with the basket and she turns around and she looks at me and she literally clenches her purse and looks over her shoulder. And she was like, you can go by. And I was like, ma'am, I'm actually trying to look at that. And so she takes her purse and swings it in front of her because it was on her right side. She swings it in front of her and clutches her purse and just like, you know, stares at me like, please get from behind me. And Chris, you know, as you say that, I can feel that from you. Like that's visceral. Yeah. I, it's a sensitivity to it. I think a lot of white people don't understand that they may think they're being real sly or you know, it goes unnoticed. But I think black people are so it's like when you shame or you put someone down long enough, or you stereotype them that they're going to rob you, that what often happens is you're nervous around them. So you hang on to what you're worried they're going to steal of yours. And man, that would be a whole nother conversation. Because I I see that happening when I am with a black person, especially if it's with a male, they they treat us different. You know, they don't know what to do with it, but they feel it. Yeah. I was just going to um, transition into the next topic, which you've already kind of touched on a little bit. Um, just asking from your experience, you know, as young as a nine year old boy to as recent as this afternoon what do you feel white people miss or don't realize about racism the thing that i think they miss is not understanding the history behind somebody's culture um and it's not just about their culture everybody has some type of history or historic culture that you should want to be interested i, I think Pretty much everybody has taken history classes, you know, in high school and in middle school, you know, but, you know, even in history class, they, they don't really put that in there about different races. You know, they'll talk about Malcolm X or, or you know, a holiday or something like that. But, you know, the black race is bigger than a, than a holiday. You know, a, a white race is bigger than a holiday or bigger than, you know, they used to be slave owners. I mean, it's bigger than that. There's so much more culture behind every single race. And I think that if, you know, if everybody understood and learned other races, you know, it wouldn't be as bad as it is. Yeah. I Well, I think for the white people, there's a lot of feeling of guilt and shame. 
And that's why when people say, you know, you were slave owners or, you know, our ancestors were slaves, there's an immediate defensiveness with white people and say, I never owned slaves and I don't have slaves. My family, we're from the North. We never had that. We don't believe in it. But but to acknowledge it and to understand, have empathy for it, and then own that you're right. I can't do anything with the past, but I can control what I do today at Sam's, and I can control what I do in the future, how I raise my children, how I work together with the black community, or you know, whatever the minority is, brown or Asian or whatever they are, that we can be a stronger, more unified world and for sure humanity. Absolutely. We do have one more question to discuss before we wrap things up. Um, Do you have an opinion on what is most important for change or healing to occur? I think if if we all, you know, because I don't want to just say, you know, it's white people this or white people that. I, I'm not. I, I'm sorry. I, I'm just. I, I I have a I have a lot of white friends. I have a lot of black friends. But I, I just think that if we if we dig a little deeper and not be afraid to want to know more about the history of each other's culture instead of being afraid to approach those type of situations like Mary Jo said um, you know I, I just think it'll put a band-aid on it I don't think it's gonna stop yeah I that's that's my biggest fear that will put a band-aid on it but yeah. Chris I I believe that you knew George Floyd yeah George Floyd um, he was actually my roommate in 1996 at Texas A&M Kingsville. Mm-hmm. So I I want to understand better how you reflect on that. When you heard that and saw that, what was where were you in your heart and soul? Um, it, it it really hurt because I've taken a lot of losses from a lot of my friends. I know you've seen it on Instagram. I still haven't gotten over my cousin. My cousin was murdered a year ago in March. Um, you know, my other best friend, you know, died um, here in Houston. Uh, he ran into the rail on um, McGowan, into uh, t- the um, the train rail, um, a couple of you know a couple of years ago. Um, which he died on the 21st, which was Father's Day. You know, so. All of that just took it, it. It it really took me back because I I know I have wounds that I haven't healed, you know, dealing with how to deal with this grief, you know. Um, so that right there just it it made me so numb, you know. Um, I, I like I said I didn't even look at it as, you know, a white cop killed Floyd. I just looked at like man, why did his life have to be taken in this type of situation? You know, and the funny thing about it is Floyd used to always say, man, CB, I'm a living legend, man. I'm going to leave this world a legend. Everybody going to remember Big Floyd. He would always say that. He would always say that all the time in the house. You know, he would always say that. And it was funny because that's the first thing that popped in my mind when I got the phone call. It really broke me down 
you know, yeah. to where I, I mean, I haven't even, you know, broke down or cried or anything because I'm just holding so much on the inside. But, you know, I just hate how that happened, you know, and at the same time, you can see you can now see clear where there's division and where there's unity. You can see it behind this situation. You know, a lot of a lot of it was hidden, you know, but now with that situation, you were able to see when I watched all the news feeds and all of that, you can see where the division of some people that don't care that he was murdered. And you got a lot of white people and different races that were like, hold on, like Black Lives Matter and all this other stuff, Um, you know. So, I mean, you could just see where the world is divided. So, you know, we're in a bad situation all the way around. Right. We're in a bad situation or we're in an incredibly unbelievable um, time where God is fully pulling the strings to bring us together. And I, you know, I think um, I think I want to believe that i'm going to embrace that i agree a hundred percent with you i think anybody who had blinders on has been taken away from them and we see more clearly now so i'm so grateful you're here with us chris and thank you for having me here on this platform Thank you for having the courage to discuss this hard topic with us. I really appreciate it. And your, your experience, it gave me chills at the end, just hearing everything that you had to say. It was really powerful. Thank you.